This right. is an eight iron, and it's a dead shank. Wow. Way right. Oh, Takes a hop shank. off the path. You gotta be kidding me. Very tough pitch shot right here. You gotta hit it into the hill. One hop up and bite, and it's in. Kind of like that. Well, I would like to welcome a 13-time PGA Tour winner, uh, Open Championship uh, winner as well at True 1989, Ryder Cups, President's Cups. Uh, this player has seen it all. Mr. Mark Kelkovecchia, again on the Sub-70 Podcast. Thanks, Kelk, for uh, coming on and doing our annual uh, start of the golf season conversation. Absolutely, Jason. Uh, anytime. I uh, always enjoy talking to you. Well, health updates. Uh, unfortunately, um, you know, <laughs> both knees are done. Yeah. Uh, how are How are you feeling? Like that, you had a hell of a run there for a while between some injuries and I mean, some stuff that really takes some time to recover from at the level you're playing at or want to play at, I should say. Yeah, the last uh, last few years have been pretty tough with the uh, the spinal fusion in uh, 2021, and then last year uh, had both knees replaced, but. Uh, they're both feeling pretty good. Uh, little, you know, nagging things uh, that us old guys have. You know, I'll be 64 in a few months, and, uh, you know, I think I got gout in my big toe. It, it kind of hurts on occasion. <laughs> Every now and then my thumb hurts like hell. You know, who knows? Uh, but all in all, though, uh, pretty good. I, I've been playing pretty decent at home, and uh, uh, only played one tournament so far this year, Naples, and that was a two-rounder. We got rained out, and uh, I, I hit it fine, but uh, but made no putts. I just couldn't read the green. So it was encouraging, and uh, looking forward to getting out to Tucson next week. Can you still put, with the injuries and stuff, and like I said, I'm, I'm guessing if you take any guy who played the tour as long as you did who's 60-plus, it just adds up, right? I mean, it's the body's not meant to swing a golf club that hard for that long. Right. Uh, can you still get enough work in practice-wise where you're, now that you're healthier, like does it feel like that part of your game is coming around too? Because when you're injured, you can't do it. You can't prep the way you need to prep. Is that, does that feel like it's getting there a little bit for you, being able to put that time in? You know, as far as actually practice, practice, not really. Um, I can, uh, you know, I can spend 45 minutes to an hour at the chipping green or, you know, practice bunker. After about 20 minutes of putting, uh, my back hurts. Uh, but I can play. You know, I, I, I've been playing a decent amount in the last, uh, well, the last few months, really, at home uh, in, in Florida. And, uh, you know, and playing's fine. You know, hopping in a cart and, and play playing. And my whole career, I've kind of always liked to play practice anyway. So uh, that works out good for me. But uh, as far as spending time on the range, I, I, I honestly can't probably hit more than about 50 balls at a time uh, anymore before I'm just uh, wiped out. But but you didn't like you said in your prime you didn't do that much anyway. Like if your right. game was on, you didn't mess with it too much, right? Like if it was working, you wouldn't sit out there for three hours pounding seven irons for no reason. Well, right. Uh, I, I mean, I did when I was younger when I first started working with with Costas in the eighties and then Butch Harmon in the nineties. Uh, you know, you, you'd, you'd hit so many balls where your your hands, you know, were just blistered up, you know, terribly. Uh, but. Uh, you know, not anymore. And again, you're right, though. I, I kind of always did like to play practice. Like, even when I went out by myself back in the early days at Bear Lakes or when I went down to Eagle Trace in the middle 80s, uh, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd rather play 18 holes, two balls a hole, you know, which is like playing 36 holes, which is a lot of golf, uh, take a break, and then, uh, you know, maybe hit 30 or 40 balls in the range, some bunker shots and chips, and uh, call it a day, and I'd be done by noon. So that was, yeah. that was kind of the way I, uh, I always like to do it my whole career. So with the limited time, what are you sort of focusing on? You know, you can't, like I said, you can't beat a thousand balls a day anymore. Like what sort of, is it short game? Is it, you know, with that limited practice, what's the, what are you really trying to focus in on? It, yeah. Uh, short game more than anything else. Uh, you know, cause I can only fly at about 245 yards, maybe 250. If I've got a flight, help of wind <laughs> so you know my distance isn't great uh but if i can get some roll these new uh callaway drivers uh they don't have a whole lot of spin on them so if i can get dry conditions i'll be okay and get it out there but yeah the main thing is short game 
and it's you know in Naples it was streaky. I hit some amazing chips and 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 a couple of really good bunker shots, and then the next bunker shot I just dead chunk. So it was a kind of a mixture, or like a chip. Uh, the second round on Saturday, I was right in front of the 17th green with the easiest pick I've ever seen, and I chipped it about four feet. Uh, granted, it was into the green a little bit, but still, uh, stuff like that, I've got to, uh, uh, you know, I've got to get better at, uh, and just make some putts. Um, I, I really didn't, uh, really didn't make much, uh, putt wise in the two rounds we played in Naples. So, but like I said, it's only been two rounds for the year so far. Yeah. So, a lot of, a lot of, Is there a long way to go. Is, yeah, is there something to be said about, I mean, to interrupt you there, but like getting in a tournament flow where if you do play three weeks in a row or three out of four, does that then kind of come back to you a little bit of that, okay, this isn't golf at the club with the guys on Saturday. This is real golf. It's professional golf. But then that everything starts to tighten up, focus, short game. Once you get a little bit of that rhythm of professional golf backs, it's been a while for you to really kind of get in that groove at it, you know, imagine from the, like I said, from the injuries and the time off. Yeah, you're right, uh, 100%. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of actually looking forward to that too, because um, that's what I haven't done in the last two years. I've only played uh, eight tournaments, I think, in two years. So um, it, it'll be nice to play three out of four weeks, and then uh, or three weeks in a row in, uh, in May or whatever, four weeks in a row, and you know, get something going, get a little bit of uh, uh, you know confidence rolling, and just you know, it, it just kind of runs into each other, you know, when you hit chips every day and, and bunker shots and and shots and, and whatnot, you can kind of get a little uh, confidence and a little bit of an idea of what, of what you're doing out there for sure. Any changes to the Champions Tour with everything going on in golf and, you know, trying to make it a little bit more interactive if you take what Liv's doing and the Tour's making some change and stuff, is there anything on the Champions Tour that you guys are seeing or talking about or hearing as everything is kind of moving fast forward, you know, it's kind of who knows which direction it's all going. But are you yeah. guys working on anything that you think is kind of interesting or cool for the fans that, you know, follow you guys on the Champions Tour this season or other changes you'd maybe like to see? Well, I've, I've, I've kind of been trying to find out, you know, this this new uh, equity program thing. Uh, you know, I mean, I think there's quite a few of us trying to figure out if, if we're going to find a check in the mailbox one day. <laughs> you know, but uh, we'll we'll see. Uh, you know, other than that, uh, our, our tour is pretty uh, pretty secure. You know, we it, it's not a whole lot changes in terms of uh, what's going on out there. Uh, you know, most of our tournaments are in the same places, the same time of year, and and which is fine. Uh, you know, it, it's sometimes the rules change, uh, unbeknownst to me. Uh, you know, they like to do that to you. Oh, here's a new rule. Uh, with eligibility or this or that, uh, but other than that, it's uh, it's pretty much the same uh, the same deal. Which for people who you know, I love going out to Champions Tour events, and in the sense that it, you can get closer to the players, you can watch how you guys play. Right? It is a little. I'd say it's more intimate setting. It's fun. Like you can see you, John Daly, um, you know, David Duvall, pick whoever it is. Like, how do you guys go about? Picking apart the golf course and take you know, course management, all of it, you can really see it up close. I think that's a part a lot of people could learn from. You know, go follow you for nine holes and see how you go about your business. That's the cool part about the Champions Tour. I think that you can see some great players and some great golf, but you can see it up close. Yeah, absolutely, hundred percent correct. Uh, and it's been like that since since day one, since I got out there thirteen years ago. Um, you know, the, obviously our crowds aren't as big. Uh, you know, some places we get we get really big crowds, but you can get closer. You can you can ask us questions. You know, I, I think sometimes you get out there on the PGA Tour and 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 you know some of the fans are, are afraid to get anywhere near anybody uh, and 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 you know for the fear of getting yelled at. <laughs> uh, that that won't right. happen for tour. You know, I mean, I've answered. Hundreds and hundreds of questions, just right on the tee, or you know, like before I teed off, or I said, like, "Hey, Mark, can I ask you a question?" I said, "Sure, what's up?" You know, it, it's uh, that's kind of the way it is out there with us. And and again, it, it's it's not the craziness of the PGA Tour, and we're glad it's not. You know, we don't want it that way, but but yet, you know, when the fans come out to watch us, they uh, they recognize almost all of our names, and uh, even though we're 
getting up there in age, uh, you know, there's still a lot of, a lot of great golf being played on the Champions Tour and you can, uh, you can learn a lot and uh, find out a lot by going out to watch, uh, watch our tournaments. Totally agree. Yeah. It's, um, and I think you can take a little bit away from it too of, you know, not all the golf balls are carrying 305 yards. And it's, it's a little bit more realistic for somebody like me if I watched That's you true. play of how you do it. Be- right. Because, you know, the guys anymore on the regular tour, it's, I would call it, it's the, that game is farther away from a good amateur low handicap golfer as it's ever been, let alone the 15 handicap, right? It's, uh, it's it's a different it's a different beast. So you go watch an LPGA tour event or you know anything like that where it's more like you know the distance I hit a golf ball. It's like oh okay, right. oh, I see how they're doing this. Yeah, and you can gain a lot from from watching the best in the world do it. I think it's a cool idea of of watching a pro and see what you can gain out of it. Exactly, uh, and yeah, when you do go out to tour events, and uh, I, I play a decent amount at home with Eric Cole and. Nick Hardy and Brandon Matthews and some of these other guys that just, uh, you know, I mean, Eric's average distance wise, but he only weighs about 130 pounds, but you know, those other guys just absolutely blister it. And I never get tired of watching it. I'm like, you know, holy moly, you know, how far did you just hit that one? But when you go out to watch us play or even the ladies, you know, people, I'm sure they say, well, I, I think I could probably hit it that far, or that's kind of, that looks like my drive, just kind of a low, skanky fade out there, <laughs> you know? So, uh, yeah, uh, I think it, it's much more relatable to the uh, average person, for sure. Uh, what, what the tour guys do is, it is incredible, but uh, it's not uh, it's not not the way most of us play golf, that's for sure. Well, you guys still hit way farther than the average guy playing golf out there. Don't don't call a 288-yard rolled-out fade, you know, it's not right. dog shit. You're still moving it pretty good, Cal. But the the way you guys don't play bomb and gouge and try to hit as far as you can to the – that's the part where I think it differs, right? I think if you get some guys watching TV and going, well, uh, you know, I have a they have 183-mile-an-hour ball speed, they're that strong, so I'm just going to hit as far as I can and gouge. Like that won't work yeah, yeah. for a no, good amateur player. Well, you have to play like you guys do. Well, we don't have an extra. We don't have that extra gear, um, right? You know, I mean, we pretty much swing Dude. at you know the way we swing at it. You know, you, you can't just all of a sudden walk up there and say, "Okay, I'm going to throw an extra five mile an hour club head speed into this drive." You know, I, right. I don't have that, uh, and and the tour guys do. That uh, they do have that extra gear. Uh, I mean, their normal gear is, is, is massively long, but they, they do have an extra gear. But we're just, uh, you know, we, we hit it the way we hit it, and uh, that's about it. Uh, there's really, I mean, I, I think you mentioned Duvall earlier. I played with him last year in a tournament, and all of a sudden when he decided he wanted to hit one, there, there was a difference there. Uh, but now I think he's more worried about trying to keep it on the course because uh, right. he hit it far enough the way it is. Uh, but yeah, most of us, uh, there's no extra gear, uh, at our age and fairways and greens still give you plenty of chances. That's just kind of what I always watch, you know, from, from playing quite a bit with TA three, he still hits it pretty good, but he gives himself a lot of chances, right? Yep. Smart, solid golf. And, and that's what you guys do well. I think that's what we can take away from it. So no, it's, it's fun to watch. People should go out and watch champions tour golf because the level of play, how good it is. I think it, 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 I always say this, like it will, you go shoot, go play the tees you guys play from 6,800 yards and go shoot 15 under par in three rounds and come back to me and let me know how that goes for you. That's <laughs> right. how good the play is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, exactly, yeah. It's, it's still great golf. Um, speaking of great golfers, I think this story, I love your f- feedback on this one. Anthony Kim coming back from, I mean, not even the oblivion, like from the poker room, I guess. Right. Uh, t- take on that and then from being away a little bit, like how, how, how do you then go from nowhere for 12 years to like, you know, trying to beat DJ? Like, my God, like how do you transition back into pro level golf? Let's assume he's still got talent, but how is, how do you see that playing out? Oh, it's going to be, uh, going to be interesting. I've, I've only seen Anthony one time since he left, uh, which was about the same time I, I started playing the Champions Tour anyway. And uh, it was at the Madison Club in Palm Springs, and he was having breakfast, and he had his hoodie on, and he never took it off. He had it, like, cinched up like it was 20 degrees in the dining room. I, I just thought it was the weirdest thing ever. Uh, but anyway, 
what's what's weird about the last 12 years uh, with him being gone is you haven't even really heard of him playing any, just, just like at home or recreational or stories like, oh, yeah, I played with Anthony Kim today and he shot 62. Or you, right. you haven't heard anything. Uh, I, I don't know what he's been doing. Uh, yeah, whether he's been playing poker at the Bellagio or or what he's been doing. So, uh, you know, I, it'll be interesting. Uh, it's a good story. He was obviously a great player and, uh, you know, just kind of a different character, that's for sure. But, well, you know, we'll see. Uh, I, I think he'll play okay, probably not great uh, most of the year. Uh, I, I don't think he's anywhere good enough to deal with Rom and uh, DJ and Bryson and, and those guys. So, uh, but we'll see. It'll be fun to watch. Well, having said that, I don't, I don't watch live. I didn't mean it that way, but uh, I will pay attention to what he shoots. That, that's about it. It's a, yeah, it's an interesting human story, right? Because very okay. few guys, like, like we were talking about Duvall again, like, you know, when he stepped away and went in the broadcast booth and then yep. he turns 50 and goes back in it, it's not like all of a sudden he just turned it back on and won three times. And I think like DeMarco's done the same thing, right? Like really good players on the PGA Tour. You take that five, six, seven years off. And it, why do you think that is so hard to, cause they have talent and they have experience and they've proven themselves. Why is it so hard to then become elite, elite again? Yeah. Isn't that amazing? Uh, the way it that is. works, uh, with, with, you know, DeMarco had, you know, probably six or seven years from when he last played good on tour until he turned 50 and I heard he was in great shape and he's working out and then he just didn't play well at all for, you know, he's had some good tournaments and, and a few chances to win for sure. But, uh, you know, he hasn't won yet. Um, Justin Leonard's played well, but he hasn't won yet. You know, he's he spent quite a bit of time in the booth. Nota Begay's playing now. But, uh, you know, when he started playing last year, he, you know, it was terrible. Uh, Duvall, same thing. Uh, it's, it's just, uh, I don't know. I think you just get out of the uh, competitive playing mode. It takes a little bit to figure it back out. It's almost like relearning you know how to play uh and i get it because i'm kind of the same way right now even though i've only been out because of injuries but i still have to i told brenda this i still have to figure out how to bring my to quest the country club game you know in jupiter florida uh, back out to the tour because I, i play well at home uh and i didn't play great in naples so uh that that's kind of the whole uh the whole mystery and the same goes with those guys because it's not nerves or anything. I mean, right? I mean, you've no. dealt with the. T- yeah, it's like, why does it not, you know, just like you you guys been out there for so long can just flip the switch? And I don't think Anthony Kim's going to be able to do it either. Like, I don't. It's 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 such an interesting thing to look at. Of like, why does the golf with the boys at home at DeQuesta, we are shooting sixty six, not just go to Naples and shoot the same thing? Like, <laughs> like what what is that little tiny nuance? And it's I've talked to a bunch of players about there. They call it, uh, you know, it's like. You have to work yourself into, I know it's, it sounds kind of crazy because you can still play competitive golf at home, but like tournament professional golf, like I mentioned earlier. It's like, right. I always find it fascinating. Though, why Why is that a thing? Right. It's a mystery. Uh, and the three rounds that I shot before I left for Naples, I shot 66, 68, 68 on some pretty good golf courses. And then I opened up with a 76. And I, I looked at Brandon and I said, how, how can I lose eight to 10 shots around uh, driving over to Naples? Uh, you know, it's the same guy playing golf. Uh, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's in the, it's in the brain for sure, but it's also just one of those things you gotta just get over the hump again. You know, I've always said pro golf is, is such a fine line. Uh, there's so many great players that can't quite get over the hump. And it's almost like uh, the guys that I mentioned before, you know, that, that took time off or been in the booth, you know, they got to figure out how to get over the hump again. And I'll be 64 in a few months. And, uh, you know, will I get over the hump again? Uh, who knows? Uh, you know, I'll shoot some good rounds, but, you know, can I win again? Uh, I'm not Bernhard Langer. I know that. So uh, we'll see. Uh, but I'm going to keep trying. Going to ask you too on like the what's going on with golf and everything from like a thousand feet in the air because this idea of like a world tour of you know was around in the nineties when, when when you were on the PGA tour and 
just from the outside looking in, like, assume, do you think there's going to be a merger? I know it's just a guess. I know you don't have any inside information, but how, in, right. let me ask, if in a perfect world, how do you see this potentially coming together? And do you think it'd be an interesting product if everyone can come to an agreement? Because it sounds like between what Rory's saying and some of the other players, there's a little bit more of a pathway to potentially, and I, I mean, tell me if I'm wrong, but some version of a world tour, right? Where, Everything feeds up to these 12 events or whatever events there are, and it travels the world, and those top 80 players or whatever it is, that's the elite of the elite, and everyone's going to want to get there from a money standpoint prestige. Do you, do you see it? Can you see a little bit more of a pathway of this working out, and how would you potentially see it uh, from your uh, yeah, perspective? I do a lot more now than I did last year or the year before when uh, all this kind of came about. Uh, you know, It kind of seemed like a few years ago when guys left, you know, like that was it. They were never going to play the PGA Tour again. Boom, goodbye, you're gone. Uh, but now as time's gone on and, and, and Rom's gone and who knows what Rory's going to do, and uh, I, it just seems to me that these guys must have some sort of inside info that that uh, we're all going to be back together playing uh, uh, together at, at some point anyway. So why not take, you know, all this money and – Forget about the PGA Tour for whatever it is, two years, three years, however long it takes. You know, they're all still young enough. Uh, and I, I hope so for the, for the sake of golf. Uh, you know, I, I've said it many times. I'm not a live golf fan, but uh, I don't blame any of these guys one bit for, for taking all that money. And the way it looks, hopefully uh, uh, they can fill their pockets up uh very nicely, and then in, in a few years, it'll all kind of come together and, and merge together and be one uh, one big happy tour again. Uh, would 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 make the most sense to me. Uh, but yeah, it's it's been a it's been a strange uh, couple of years uh, with with that tour for sure. I I think it could be interesting, like you know, to bring a big event to Australia. I mean, and, and, and go to Hong Kong. And I think the relegation of, like, guys on that borderline of going up or down could be really, you know, there's a story to tell in that. I think that'd be very, the end of the year of, like, oh, man, is he is he going to get up to that next level? Is this guy going down with, you know, nine holes to go? Like, that could be exciting. Almost like, a, you know, an informal tour school pressure on that final round. Uh for the elite players, a lot of travel would have to happen, but the payday would be, yeah. I'm guessing, Calc, it would be unbelievable what the purse prizes would be if that all came together of what that world tour, let's call it for lack of a better word, would look like. Yeah, it would be cool if they're all down there playing Royal Melbourne or Kingston Heath or something in Australia, you know, and or go to Hong Kong or, or go to wherever. Uh, you know, you can get anywhere in 24 hours nowadays pretty much, so it's 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 a lot of travel, but, uh, yeah, for, for what, for what they're going to be playing for, uh, it's well worth the trip. So, uh, yeah, I, that would be, that would be cool to see for sure. And I think you'd have to bring it around the world. I, 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 you're right. It's going to have to be in South America, China. I mean, for that to work and for the, the, the money behind it, it's going to literally have to be a world tour. Of course you'd have some events in the States, but that's the only way I see almost like formula one, where it's yeah, right. it's on that world circuit and and then the, but like I said, what would first prize be seven eight million dollars for a win? I mean probably. Yeah, right? uh, you're talking. Yeah, it, it would be insane. Which yeah. would be, you know would be fun to watch guys coming down and playing for eight million bucks right. know, for a four day tournament. I hope they get it worked out. I really do. I think it would be because the, the majors are going to get all messed. Up, you know, I mean. Taylor Gooch should probably be at the Masters, realistically, from the play. I mean, they're going to have to figure this out because otherwise well, you're going to have. Sure he should, and, and I know he's better. He's not in the Masters, but, uh, he, you know, he won three times on the Live Tour. Who cares? You know, that, that, yeah, world rankings and the shitter. Who cares? Uh, he's Taylor Gooch. Uh, so, I don't know. Well, I, I'm using that as an example of if it kept yeah. spreading off, right? If let's, Are you eventually going to lose some players that realistically from a – if there was world rankings counting, and if it's live golf or whatever it is, but it's live golf right now, are the majors potentially not getting the best possible field? And do they feel pressure to fix that somehow on their own? I'd rather see this whole thing come together before that happened. Yeah, that's true. Uh, uh, And I said the same thing about the Ryder Cup last year. Uh, You know, 
you want the best players on both teams, whether they're on live or not. And, you know, DJ should have been there. Bryson should have been there. I don't know about Patrick Reed, but, you know, there was, you know, they picked Brooks because he won the PGA. And, you know, they said, you got to pick Brooks. So, you know, why Zach take him? But, um, yeah, I think you got to have the best players for that event from both sides, no matter where they're playing golf. And same with the majors. Uh, you know, Taylor's not in the, in the Masters, and there's I know there's four or five or six other guys that are, uh, you know, great players that probably should be in the Masters as well. But, uh, you know, that tournament's always the, the, uh, had historically the weakest field of, of all the majors, uh, you know, because it's normally around 80 or 90 players and eight of them are amateurs and, you know, eight of them were past champions. I mean, there's, there's literally, and, and there's going to be another 20 guys that are just going to play bad that week. You got like 40 guys to beat. Uh, is I think what the really what the great players think. You know, Jack always thought, or or Tiger always thought, or Phil, whoever. Those guys have won a lot of a lot of Masters, um, and you know they say it's the easiest major to win because of that. Well, I don't know about that, but uh, it, it it it's it's definitely a, a good point where you know you you want the best players in, in the majors for sure. But I'm going to reverse my own argument. It wasn't an argument. But, I mean, like, Taylor Gooch knew what he signed up for, and he made $33 million or whatever it is last year. So part part of that is, like, dude, you might not get in the majors, but you made $30 million. You, you, you signed that deal knowing there was not going to be world ranking points. Like, you can't come and complain now. I'm Right. So, yeah, it's sort of like you took that deal. So I don't know what to tell you. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. I yeah. Exactly. He's uh, he's got more money than he ever dreamed of having, and uh, you know, so he's not in the Masters. He's sitting home and watching on TV. Uh, right. Golf tournament. Uh, it's a great golf tournament, but it's not the end of the world. And and when he signed that deal, he knew what he, he knew what he was doing, and they all did. Yes. They all knew what they were. They doing. all did. So they all got a lot. And yeah, okay. You can't go back now and say, no. oh, well, woe to me, right? Well, I mean, why can't you, I play in the Masters? You're screwing me. No. You know, that, that that's that, you know. And the official uh, world golf ranking, I mean, should the live guys be getting points? I, I don't know. Uh, that That's a whole other argument I don't understand. But uh, obviously, you know, DJ's is, is top probably Five player in the world, right? And what's his world ranking slipped down to now? Uh, I don't even know, hundred or something like that. Yeah, right? so you know that's that's dumb. But uh, you know, but he, he's as a you know past Masters champion, he'll always be in the Masters. And but there will be a time when these guys' exemptions will run out. So you know, in three or four years, what happens when uh, you know Patrick Reed or whatever is his, his five year Masters win runs out? And he's not in any majors, or uh, uh, or Bryson, or, or even Dustin, or whoever. So uh, unless it uh, all, all comes together, uh, it could be uh, could be you know really uh, really weird, but but not good. Uh, like I said, you want the best players and all the you all want the best. Um, yeah, yeah, they got to they got to figure something out. Uh, you brought up the Ryder Cup. This was going to bring something I was I was going to you know, bring up to you in that situation of, uh, you know, was, was Zach Johnson essentially in a no win situation in the sense of if the politics have taken live guys, he's going to have his brethren on the PGA tour pissed. If that fails, he's, he's like, I don't know how he was going to get out of that situation. Right. Because if it didn't work, no matter which way he went, he's going to be vilified. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 you're doomed from the start. Yeah, he, you know, and I've known Zach forever. I mean, he's, he's one of the nicest guys on the planet. But no matter what happened, uh, and the way the course was set up, uh, you know, Luke Donald did a great job with all that. You know, all you got to do is grow a foot deep rough, and uh, we're in trouble. Uh, but I think our next Ryder Cup or down the road, we should play an 8,500-yard course with no rough and 80-yard wide fairways and, and see what happens. Well, and that was my other thing I was going to bring up, right? Like, does, do we eventually just not let the team set this thing up? Because I, to your point, it's exactly what I would do if I was Luke Donald. It worked at uh, was two parts of this. It worked uh, at France too, right? Where you know 
the same yeah. thing. Uh, so then the here's a weird one for you. Do you start picking your American team literally different, knowing this, if they're not going to switch the course set up and just let somebody neutral do it, you know, whoever, the R&A and the U.S. I, I would, would be the PGA and the European Tour, right? They They come to an agreement where it's more neutral. But if that doesn't happen, do you have to start making picks based on not gut or team or I want my boy there, but I don't know, uh, take a modern day Brian Gay and are you are you better off to have a bunch of Brian Harmons going into Europe who hit it long enough and really accurate, they're not going to overpower anything, but the golf course, you know what you're going to get ahead of time. Do these captains have to, or the committees have to start thinking, although you know DJ is a better player, for example, let's say he was on the PJ Tour still, this doesn't set up great for him, and I have the the mathematics and the stats backing this up, so I don't give a shit about the chemistry because they play together. It's just going to be like a computer saying, these two guys play together if the course looks like this. Go play. Uh, yeah, it it, it might, uh, might kind of lean that direction. Like, you know, I don't know how long they're going to have the six qualifiers and then six captain's picks type thing. I, I think six is too many. Because uh, it's not really fair to the guy who finishes seventh if he doesn't get picked. But at any rate, uh, but yeah, next time we go over to Europe, uh, uh, it, I'm not sure where the writer. Oh, that uh, place in Ireland, I think. Uh, I forget the name. But of. you, but you know what's coming. It's going to be a bowling alley. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be tight with deep roughs. So what do we do? We we have our six qualifiers, and then what do you do? Go down the stats and find the next six straightest drivers, no matter who they are. What? Not a bad idea, right? That's what I'm literally starting to think, Kelk, because I don't think like when you were playing the course setups, no one talked about how much different it, it, it is or was. And now the, every captain uses it to an advantage. And, you know, same with us at Hazeltine when they just, you know, you get all bombers and you have no rough and you put the pins in the middle of the green and our guys go lower. Right. I, 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 I don't like it because it's like you can almost just predict the outcome beforehand and then... But I'll tell you what, if somebody which you know anointed me captain, and I got to go pick a team, I, I, I would really—it's going to be outside the box of a thought. And thank God I'll never be in this position to have to do it. But I would literally have a, a computer genius pick me out if I get five or six picks. To, to your point, who a modern day Brian Gay puts it great, hits it straight, yeah. always in play. Give me five. Who's the best five? And then you may have to tell the guys, like, you're just playing with this player today. I don't know what to tell you. I don't want the input. The the, the algorithm says X. Right. And, it, I mean, it would kind of take the wind out of the Ryder Cup a little bit. But I'm telling you what, if my job was to win, I sure as shit would think about doing it that way. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Right? Yeah, I hope they, I hope they stop this. It, it, I think it would be better for the event if they just make the make it like a normal event. Whatever that is, right? Of everyone, I'm sure the guys setting the golf courses up know what I'm talking about. Where it's not so extreme on our side and so extreme on their side. Yeah, I think it'd be a better for the matches. So I know it's interesting. And the other thing I was going to ask you too: like, how much does the does the captain really make that much of a difference? Or like, I can't imagine I would need to motivate you to play. Like, you're a professional golfer; it's what you do for a living. You don't like losing at anything. Like, or does it? Could a captain literally just say? You an ex player, go out and play. I don't. You don't need me to coach you up. You guys know what you're doing. That's why you're on this team. Go play. Yeah, uh, I, I've said that for a long time. Uh, you know, Luke Donald's about the quietest, calmest guy you could ever meet. I mean, you see him getting fired up in the locker room. You know, like a like a football coach screaming at his guys. You know, let's go at the top of his lungs. No, um, you know these guys are all professional golfers. They know how to play golf. It's the Ryder Cup. Trust me, they're fired up. Uh, and, you know, Jack wasn't rah, rah, rah in 87. Raymond in 89. You know, Raymond was a little bit more fiery, but he says, okay, Cal, you're going to go play with Ken Green and alternate shot. Go go get a point, whatever. And, then yeah, we're fired up. We're going to go do it. So, yeah, these guys know what they're doing out there. It's just – it's not – you can't blame a captain for – you know, Zach was in a tough spot, but, you know, he's going to get criticized with his pairings or he's going to get criticized for this or that. You know, if they don't win, it's his fault. You know, he was a, he was a bad leader. He, you know, he didn't, 
the, the team wasn't together. Uh, they didn't hang out in the team room. That's all a bunch of crap. Uh, it, it has to be, right? Like, Because like you said, I think the captains in the Ryder Cup, at least of, of recent times, this is just as a golf fan looking at it, they're uh, over-criticized and blamed when they lose. Like they're the worst leader, <laughs> like exactly decision ever. And if you win, Thomas Bjorn should be going up for a Nobel laureate prize. Right, and I, I I don't think it's quite it's quite the players still have to play. Right. Like, I, I truly think you could give me a stat guy, and I watch enough golf where I would be like, you guys are going to go play, and I would hope they would play because they're pros and it's the Ryder Cup, right? Like I, it's it's strange to me how much the captaincy has turned in. I think when you probably first started, the captaincy wasn't as big of a thing as it is now, right? Or oh, that pressure oh, on the captains. No, I mean. You know, Dave Stockton was a great captain. They were all great captains. Jack, obviously, was great. Raymond was amazing. But, you know, just because they're great guys. Uh, you know, we've known them forever. And Curtis was was fantastic uh, at the Belfry in 02. So my four captains were, were awesome, but it wasn't, wasn't their fault. We we won, lost, tied, or whatever. Uh, it, it was our fault. You know, it, at, the, at the Belfry in 89... Five of us hit in the water in 18, including me, uh, you know, and we end up tying. It was, it was one of the most, it was as bad as Medina uh, when we somehow didn't win that one uh, a few, well, probably 10 years ago already. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it was, wow. we were all crying. Was, we, we were stunned. You know, we, it looked like we couldn't possibly lose and we end up tying, which they kept the cup. So, uh, that's got nothing to do with Raymond Floyd, trust me. So, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's it's like I said. I think uh, it, I think it's going to be very interesting going forward. And uh, like I said, boy, the, the captain sees a high. It's there's a it's a high high risk situation where I don't ever remember it being like that. Where you're just going to get killed if you lose, and if you win, like I said, you're anointed. It's uh, oh, it's still Donald, just golf. It's Luke Donald's a European it, hero now. He's like yes. yeah, he's probably going to be Sir Luke Donald in no time. Yeah, and 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 Zach, you know, people are giving him shit at you know oh, still yeah. In, in in yeah, like it's dude, the guy's not hitting golf shots. Like I don't know, what to tell you. Yeah, the, the fans were roughing him up in Phoenix. You know, I mean, Jesus. Granted, right, that, he didn't that, hit a shot. But yeah, he didn't hit a shot. You know, he, he tried his best. <laughs> you yeah, know, it's interesting. Yeah. Well, that's was interesting for your take on it because you've been inside of that, and like I said, it sounds like you're saying kind of like 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 the players have to hit the golf shots, and to the point, you don't need to be motivated. You're on the you're you're playing in the goddamn Ryder Cup. Like you should be at your best, yeah. ready to go. It's not on the captain. So, yeah. you know, next one's going to be interesting, but I agree with you. It's going to be 8,500 yards, no rough, and get get our bombers out there, and we'll probably win by five or six points. And here we yeah. go again. Yeah, Beth Page is going to be uh, – it's going to be – that could be a little crazy. Oh, 100%. Yeah, it's coming the other direction. Uh, going to ask you on the Florida swing. Like, and let me know your thoughts on this, but as a Midwest guy, I always thought, all right, PJ Tour fan. Now the season started. We got the Florida swing. Did you, as a player, and I know you like playing in Florida growing up and stuff. Did you kind of feel that? Did you really put an emphasis on this start to Augusta, getting ready for the Honda and getting ready for these tournaments and starting to prime up for the season? No, that 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 wasn't a thing back in my era. Uh, you know, like the season starts at Doral back when we used to play at Doral, or, or the, once the Florida swing starts. It's the build up to the Masters. Uh, I, I never thought that way. I, I enjoyed playing the West Coast tournaments, uh, especially Phoenix, uh, the Hope. Wasn't a huge fan. Of, well, totally not a fan of Torrey Pines, but, you know, I, I had some good tournaments there. I played there anyway and I always enjoyed going up to Pebble, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, I, I, I always played a lot of golf, uh, in, in November and December and I was, I was kind of anxious to go play. So, uh, and then once we got to Florida, yeah, I was, I was super excited because I loved Doral, uh, back in the early days before it got all messed up. And of course the Honda, uh, in, in my neck of the woods here. So, uh, yeah, those, those were great tournaments and, uh, the players, I nearly won that one. Um, Jody Mudd edged me out in 91, I think. Uh, so love, love playing in Florida, but yeah, the Masters, 
Uh, and I didn't think about wanting to play the week before or not. You know, that wasn't a deal then either. You know, now it's like, oh, yeah, guys want to play the week before the Masters so they're tournament ready. I mean, that's a bunch of crap. Phil always said that. Uh, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Uh, you know, you're, you're tournament ready. Trust me when you get to Augusta. Uh, it, it's like the Ryder Cup. If you're not fired up to play in the Masters, there's something wrong with it. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I never thought that way about the Florida swing, is the build up to the Masters. You, you got out of the gate, played West Coast, and just kept it rolling. If it was rolling, it was rolling. There was no, right. Yeah, like, like how it is now where it's segmented off and they got the regimen. If you felt that you were on a heater and you're playing good, you're going to keep playing. Uh, there was no yeah real full game plan that this is exactly how you do it each year. And I never went to Augusta, you know, on my private plane that I never had, you know, a month early to play two days, uh, you know, like Tiger and Phil and all these guys do now. Uh, they played there a hundred times. They, they know the course. Uh, I, I rolled in there Monday. I, I played 18 Tuesday uh, and usually nine on Wednesday. Played the par three and, and, and teed it up and, and did my best. Prep work uh, for the players. Like I said, I know you came, you came close to winning it. Um, a lot of guys I talk to love that golf course. What's what's the key for these guys to play well there? Because it's a, it's you get interesting champions. You get guys who bomb it, and then you get the Fred Funks of the world who are precise and kind of everywhere in between. So it's from a fan standpoint, it's a very interesting tournament that it's not really you know one player seems to have a huge advantage there. I had a little bit of a love-hate relationship with the Players uh, Championship and then the TPC there. Uh, you know, I had really good tournaments, and I had some really bad tournaments. Uh, my success at 17 was pretty good. I think I only hit it in the water twice there my entire career, so that was good. But as you just said, that's one of the greatest things about that tournament and that golf course is anybody can win it. Any, literally anybody in the entire field, if they play well, you know, keep it out out of the water, keep it in play, make enough putts, hit enough good iron shots, and think their way around that course. Anybody can win it, and that's that's probably the greatest thing about that that golf course and that tournament is it favors no one, as, as you just said. Is it is it one? And it's Pete Dye, so I'm guessing like that's one where you were on your toes for 18 holes, like right? There's no. There's no sort of slap it out there hole. It's fine. I'm going to have a breather here, right? At least when I play Pete Dye, he gets in my head of angle seems strange, and I'm never totally comfortable off the tee. Uh, I think of any other designer. He has, you know, Pete Dye, uh, I got to play that golf course a few times to see the lines of of, of what he's designing. I, I, I struggle on those golf courses a little bit, but might just be me, but I always was no. I'm always a little uncomfortable on a Pete Dye golf course. Yeah, you're not the only one. Uh, that was his whole whole thing is he wanted to make you feel uncomfortable on the tee box, even though even though you knew there was plenty of fairway out there, it was still kind of a, either a strange look or didn't suit your eye. You know, there's like some there's like there's several tee shots uh, at the TPC uh, in Jacksonville. Where like two, two is a, a, the worst driving hole in the world for me. If you hit a fade, uh, you know I tried to hook drivers, I tried to hook three woods, I tried to hit a, a fade over the trees, I tried everything. And then for the hookers, number five is a terrible look because you don't want to start it out over the water, right, and try to hook it back to the fairway. Uh, and then you know back in my day, the, the left rough was always about a foot deep. So there's and there fourteen's another hole. Uh, you don't know how to hit a fade or a hook off that tee, or just try to hit it straight or steer it out there, or whatever. So there's there's a there's a bunch of holes like that where it's it's uncomfortable for nearly everybody in the field. And again, that's what that's kind of what makes it uh, makes it such a good course, I think. It, it's interesting for the fans to watch, right? Because you're like, how how is this? This player's playing this bad this week, but if you know Pete Dye golf courses, right, like it just doesn't take much. If you're just off a tad, you can shoot a 75 out there probably for, for your guys at your level you're at in a millisecond, right? And you also can shoot a 65. Yeah. But if you the wind kicks up and it's swirling through those trees, it's going all over the place. And then the entire round, no matter whether you start on 10 or, or 1, you know, you still know you got to play 17 and 18. 
So that's also always in the back of your mind. It's, you know, you could be rolling into 17, four or five under for the day and, 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 and shoot even par, uh, you know, on the play the last two holes about five over. So, and that's happened, uh, numerous times as we all, we've all seen. So, uh, it, it's, uh, it, it's my second favorite tournament to watch other than the Masters, of course. Uh, I, I love watching the Masters and, uh, but I, I also love watching the players because of, uh, of 17. Well, the other big one this year, uh, Royal Troon. You've, you've had a little success there. Um, yeah. The open out there this year. Uh, if you were given advice to a young touring pro, he said, Kelk, I want to hold the Claret Jug. What do I need to do on this golf course? You know, what, what advice would you have? And, you know, uh, what makes it, I mean, it's one of the best golf courses in the world, but from your eyes, what makes it just, you know, truly one of the best links experiences a golfer can have? It, it really is. There's, there's just, there's just no bad holes there. Uh, I, I honestly love every hole in that course. And there's very few courses that, uh, I've ever played that I can say that. Uh, and my, again, my buddy, Eric Cole, somebody had, has convinced him that it's a fader's course. And I said, that's not true. Uh, there's no trees out there. You, you, you can hit it any direction you want. Uh, in fact, there's a couple holes where it helps to hit a draw off the tee, which Eric hits. So, uh, I, I said, it's not a fader's course. It, it's, it's just a, it, it's just a great course. You got to keep it out of the bunkers like most open courses. And, uh, you know, and see, see what the weather gives you. Uh, you know, if you, if you get on the good side of it or the bad side of it, or, you know, most of the time the front nine's downwind there and the back nine's a beast back into the wind. You'll see guys shooting, you know, 32, 42 all the time there. Uh, but, uh, I, 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 when I, Monday, when I first saw the course in 1989, I knew I loved it. Uh, I was playing well and, uh, uh, yeah, it was, it was a great week. Oh, yeah, I, you know, and you, you got the goods to prove it, right? Every now and then you got to look over and look at that thing and go, yeah, that one's mine. I, I look at it every day. It's sitting, it's sitting right next to my TV. So in other words, yeah, I, I, I see it every day. It needs, a, it needs a little polish work right now, but uh, I, I'll get it shined up. And, uh, yeah, I look, I look at it every day. Even after all these years, it's still, it's still got to be special, right? Every now and then when you give it a glance and you're like, yeah, that, that's – yeah, that's, that's I, good as it gets, right? Like that's as good yeah. as every day. I think about it because of that reminder. Because uh, I look at it all the time, so I'm like, I don't blame you, you know. And, and a lot of times I'm like, wow, I can't believe I've I won that thing, you know. And it's just like the most sought after, uh, uh, you know, trophy I think in, in pro golf. Uh, honestly, I think if you polled every single player in professional golf, which tournament they'd like most like to win, and I'm almost certain, even Americans before the U.S. Open, would, would say the Open Championship. Oh, I agree with you. I If you could give me one, I would take the over, I'd take a world Open champion. over a Masters. Yeah, it's yeah. True you get players from all over the world. You get, uh, you know, the conditions, the, the atmosphere, the, the golf courses, uh, the fans, the, the knowledge, uh, just the whole thing uh, is just, uh, you know, really, really unique. And it... it uh, I knew it was my favorite tournament the first year I played in it, 1987 at Muirfield. I think I finished 12th, and I thought, man, this is this was the coolest tournament I ever played in. And even if I hadn't won it two years later, uh, I, I would still tell you that after playing in uh, 32 of them, I think, or 31, I'm not sure. But yeah, I played a lot of them, so it was fun. Well, I got the experience as close as I'll ever get last year. Zach Fisher was won the Argentine Open, who plays some seventy clubs, got into the Open Championship from that win. So yep. I went over there and got to walk inside the ropes with him on you know like a Wednesday practice round, and I'm walking up 18th, and I'm thinking, you know, and it's packed on a on a practice round, right? Yep. I'm walking with the guys, and I'm like thinking to myself. I can't imagine what this feeling must be like, you know, with a three-shot lead like Brian had. Someone's going to walk up that fairway. And that crowd and that backdrop and that scoreboard, like, it it was, like, magical for me just to be inside the ropes, let alone playing in the tournament, let alone, like, you've won it and, like, with you know, what that feeling must be like. Obviously, yours was in a playoff and it wasn't just an easy walk and you had to go, you know, you had to play some golf still. But, man, Kelk, what a backdrop. Right, like it's just—I can't put my. There's something so special about it, and it's the fans, and you can get close to the players, and then the course, and then just, just the backdrop of the thing. It kind of hits you like this is the world's championship right here. 
right? Like yeah. it's it's it's, it's got a vibe like anything else I've never I've never seen anything like of, of being around golf tournaments. It was truly that special just for me being a fan. Yeah, I, I think and and to sum that up, uh, a friend of mine uh, from Arizona caddied for me at uh, uh, Royal Oak in the St. Anne's. Uh, I think it was the year Layman won. Uh, not entirely sure. Was that 91 or, uh, yeah, 91, I think. 95, I don't know. Whatever year it was, uh, I just kind of, I think I bogeyed 15 and 17, but I was still like in the top 15. So, you know, still having a good tournament. And my buddy, we tee off an 18 and we get out there. I hit my second shot. And my buddy says, look, I know you're pissed off right now, but this is without a doubt the coolest moment of my life. He said that to me. He said, I'll never forget this as long as I live. Uh, this is the, the, the greatest experience I've, I've ever seen. Just walking up, uh, you know, in the last four or five groups uh, at the open uh, with, the, with the stands packed. Uh, so, yeah, I remember that. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. It is pretty cool, isn't it? Well, and also for you being an ex-champion, right, as you know, there is something special those fans have. I noticed that when I was there. If you are an open champion, oh yeah, the reception you got in a practice round was crazy. Yeah. Like, those fans know it, right? There is a certain amount of admiration and respect when an open champion is at a tee box, right? It was crazy, like, how, you know, daily, I was followed daily for a little bit, and, like, the, the respect, I mean, Standing ovation as he gets to the tee. This is a practice round, and, but he's a, he's a former Open champion, right? Like there is that level of respect. I think when you when you when you raise that claret jug. I mean, like I said, I'm I'm sure for your buddy Caddian too. There's something a little extra special of you walking up that fairway as a former champion too. Of what you feel from the crowd. Oh, every year, uh, no doubt. Uh, it's it's been cool. I've gotten just amazing treatment over there from the fans and uh, uh, you know autographs and. You know, and so many people say, oh, I was there at Troon in 89. And, you know, I'm like, really? You're, you're not that old. And he goes, yeah, I was like six, but I remember it. <laughs> yeah. 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 Even, it's yeah all kind of, still to this day in uh, Champions Tour Pro-Am. So I'll, I'll play with a guy or, or somebody to come up to me and says, you know, I was there in 89 uh, on Sunday when you won at Troon. I'm like, wow, that's cool. So, yeah, I still yeah. look at it all the time. So it's, it's a great reminder. Well-deserved, sir. Well, I appreciate it as always. I always love the insights, uh, kind of the start of the year. We've, we've definitely had a lot of talk about over the last couple of years of, uh, you know, where this great game is going with all the craziness. But uh, I certainly appreciate the conversation. So thank you so much, Kelk. Um, you know, look forward to watching on the Champions Tour, being healthy this year, too. We'll keep our eye out on it and right. uh, play well. All right, Jason. Thanks, bud. Anytime.